Hey, Caitlin. Chris, how are you? Good. Uh, you're better, probably. You are on vacation. I'm in Mexico visiting my mother. Oh. And I've been watching a ton of tennis, which is probably the best upside of a vacation you can imagine. What, what is the watching experience like in, uh, in Mexico? First of all, um, obviously there is a heavy, heavy uh, preponderance of press conferences with the Spanish-speaking players in Spanish. So sure. I've gotten a ton of information about Juan Maltín del Potro, which, yeah. you know, what, who wouldn't want that? Yep. Um, Nadal, the yep. Spanish press conference in its entirety. Wow. Again, pretty into that. Yep. Monica Puig, after her first round loss, again, yeah. she's the woman who won the gold medal sort of unexpectedly yep. from Puerto Rico. Yep. Got to hear her talk at length. Uh-huh. Basically, all of the things that American media is totally disinterested in has been highlighted. And I have to tell you, if you, you've watched like a soccer match in like Spanish called yes. by somebody from like Central or Latin America, right? Yes, I have. I have. So you know it's amazing. Yes. They, uh, they don't leave any stops. They pull them all out. No stops. Yep. And I have to tell you, my Spanish isn't great, but I've been able to understand enough. And the Spanish commentating has not disappointed. <laughs> That's great. There's not like goal, but there is like a lot of excitement. And I have to tell you, the other night I was watching the Luca Pui, uh-huh. uh, Rafael Nadal, five-setter. Oh, yeah. Did you yep. catch any of that? I did. Great I did. Match. I caught the last two sets. Yeah, it was great. Um, one of my favorite phrases that was deployed by the Mexican commentators was aplicando el tourniquet, <laughs> which is, which I don't know if you know what that means, but it means he's applying the tourniquet. Oh, wow. Wow. Right. That is intense. Like yeah. it's so good. It's right. so descriptive. I yeah. feel like we could all take a page out of the book of Spanish speaking announcers and just really get into it. <laughs> exactly. The description are really exciting. I know. He, so it's been exciting. <laughs> he cauterized that ball. Totally cauterized it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, amazing. Here's That's one great. vote for more medical terminology, making it into <laughs> tennis commentating, exactly. for sure. Um, on Del and how po- about you? Have you been watching? I have been watching. They are just like very fun guys moving forward. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Del Potro, especially. I had a thought about, I had a thought of watching Del Potro, which is, you know, um, and I'll bring this around, but you know how uh, people used to say that graph like, you, she used to get shit about not being able to sort of come over the top of her backhand, especially mm-hmm. when Navratilova would charge the net. And then I heard it explained to me once that it actually wasn't bad because her slice had so much bite and stayed so low that uh, players had to uh, basically pop up their forehands to get it over the net. And then she she would come and smash a forehand. And he's not slicing it that hard, but I wonder whether... Del Potro not really being able to hit backhands has made him more tactical or, or had like a weird silver lining. Um, yeah, he's actually. Playing well, yes. <laughs> he is playing well, yeah. and I actually think you're right to point that out as a tactical sort of uh, advantage. Like for anybody who's listening who doesn't know, Juan Martin Del Potro, the Rio Olympic silver medalist, Argentine Tower of Tendil, they call him 6'6", <laughs> huge, has basically missed like the last five years of tennis due to a bunch of wrist injuries, hits the stuffing out of the ball right. when he gets onto it, but hasn't been able to, because of the aforementioned wrist injuries, always hit as hard as he would like, and so has been hitting a ton of slices, and I have to say, Chris, I think you're totally right, his... Uh, 
his being able to mix up the ball is incredibly powerful. I watched him play a match the other day where he was hitting these incredibly crisp slice backhands, right. and it's hard to it's hard to miss the comparison with Steffi Graf. I actually think it's an advantage. A lot of you know a lot of the men play a really solid baseline rally game and the fact that Juan Martin Del Potro is now hitting this sort of slice curveball or I guess maybe a better analogy would be the knuckleball is a really cool thing it's an advantage right and it's not I mean in a perfect world you'd be able to do both right but I think the discipline of having to do it and then also when you slice the ball it's a little easier to get back to the middle of the court if you're out wide and that helps him not the fastest guy in the world pretty fast for his size but not the fastest and uh and it's it's just he's like super fun to watch, right? Like he has a really strange game and a strange grip, and a forehand that he regularly hits winners off rally balls. It's pretty great. Yeah, I mean, as we talked about in one of the past episodes, he hits his forehand about as fast as people serve. <laughs> right, but like with no, not no spin, but way less spin than most guys play with. Right? Yeah, it's like Mach three. Yeah. So for me, the fact that he's slicing it and kind of buying himself time to get back in the court and then hit that monster forehand, yeah. it's cool to watch, especially because yeah. you know. And again, I don't uh, have anything against Djokovic or Murray, but watching those two play sometimes can feel like you know, paint drying. And then you, <laughs> you got Juan li- Martin Del Potro. <laughs> you have a little something against them. That, that, that one final, you were like bored to angry tears. <laughs> oh man. Well, the French open, I don't think anybody can deny that that was one of the most boring grand slam finals. <laughs> right. You know, I have to ask you a question because this has come up more and more recently um, in the grand slams. It's certainly been a big conversation on Twitter. Um, one of the reasons I found the Rio Olympics so exciting was because up until the final, they played best of three sets on the men's side. Obviously, on the women's side, they always play best of three sets. And there seems to be, especially now with the Players' Council, which for anybody who doesn't know what that is, um, they elect player representatives to kind of inform the rules um, that the players have to abide by. And the Players' Council apparently is considering changing the rules to to decrease the amount of five-set matches. I think that would be fantastic for tennis. I don't know what you think about that, but it would be so much less boring to watch these men play, you know, another epic four-hour match instead of something really high quality for a shorter amount of time. Exactly. And I feel like, uh, well, would you do it the whole tournament or maybe week two as five-setters? How would you go about this? Some people have pitched like the first couple rounds is three and then the last couple is five but yeah yeah, i mean i think to me the fewer the five setters the better exactly exactly the worst kind of five setter is the one that ends in four where one guy's dominant plays a plays a loose set and then closes it up in the fourth it's just no and like the announcers have to go through the motions of like well he's really turned it around it's like no he's ranked number 83 he caught a (laughs) set from murray it's nothing's happening right yeah, I mean, you know, if you play that many sets, you can kind of throw away a set, which I don't think is actually, like, very good tennis, and it's certainly not, like, that exciting for commentators. Like, I've been thinking a lot about how tennis, the tennis community can, like, open up our community more to people who are kind of just casual fans, and I think this would actually help a ton. Right. Just making it a little bit more accessible and making every set matter, whereas now it's kind of like, eh, uh, we're in a fourth set. Who cares? Right, right. You know? How about fans vote after the third set? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if it's really high-quality tennis, they get to vote for more. If not, it's over. Right, exactly. Well, and it would be like, I mean, most times p- people would want more, but if you had a really good match next 
like on center court and be like, let's just move this along, people. It is over. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially, uh, you know, we forget, but the U.S. Open kind of spoils us because it's one of the few tournaments that has lights up until late in the night. Yeah. You know, most Grand Slams don't start matches at like 10 or 11, which, you know, the U.S. Open in New York City does. Right. And can you imagine being there waiting for the second match to be on? And it's like some like fourth set where – Ugh, like everyone's kind of going through the motions and you haven't even seen your second match yet. Like yeah. to me, that's kind of baloney. Totally. And I mean, as great as it must be, I've, I have not enjoyed being there till one in the morning. I'm sure it's awesome. But like, if you went with your kid or you have like, you're, you're someone who takes their career seriously, <laughs> like it would be kind of a bummer. Um, I don't know. Speaking of like, uh, matches that went on too, too long, that Murray Dimitrov match last oh. night, I mean, that is as bad a beating at one point McEnroe when it started to rain was like, (laughs) it's rainy because the the sky is crying over how much of a blowout (laughs) this is, (laughs) which is sort of a weird thing to say, but uh, I get it. That's, I mean, that's like a stain on Dimitrov because Murray played well, but it wasn't like Federer in 05 or something like, no, yeah. Grigor Dimitrov, you know, the guy did not look like he was a top 20 player, no. and yet he is. He's got a beautiful game. Yep. He's really handsome to boot. He's an ex-boyfriend of Maria Sharapova, which, you know, should lend some luster by proxy, if nothing else. Hell of a resume. The guy just sure. got dismantled. <laughs> I mean, it was 6-2, 6-3, 6-2. And, I, you know, again, to the, the idea that we we were just talking about playing the best of five. By the end of the second set, it oh. was obvious that nobody wanted to be out there. Murray was playing fine, but Dimitrov like was practically already like calling the bouncer at the club that he was going to go at later oh, on no. in the night and like securing a VIP table. So like it was totally perfunctory. And you know, I remember somebody commentating like some poor naive child was holding out one of those giant tennis balls for Grigor Dimitrov to oh. sign after the match and sort of naively said, "Great playing." I was like, what? <laughs> he was totally mocking him. Way to go, man. <laughs> Way to go. Way to make it to an hour and a half, Grigor uh, Dimitrov. I know. Man, it was brutal. Like, that could have ended after two sets, and I don't think anybody would have been sad about it. No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, I think, you know, I don't know. It's been, like, a pretty good tournament so far, and that was just, like, so disappointing because he does have such a pretty game. I thought he might push, and he's a great athlete like Murray. I thought he might push him a little bit, but... My God, tough to pull it together after something like that. No, it's really disappointing. And actually, I have to say, um, and not just because in my side gig, Racket Magazine, we have done a a huge feature about the the state of French tennis, Uh but I'm really pleased with the timing of the publication because French tennis is looking really good. Gael Monfils beat uh, Lucas Puy, who beat Nadal in a really epic five-setter the other day in a really, really exciting way. And Gael Monfils is in the semifinals, which I I can't remember the last time he was in a grand slam semi and with like a decent shots to make the final can what? you no and he's been rolling man like he beat the shit out of Baghdadis and then he rolled over Pui. like it's pretty great pretty great i'm super pumped about that oh i shouldn't say semi i think he's in the quarters now. i think he's in the quarters uh, yeah but still great um, great tournament still for great him. and yeah. you know i turned uh, i jumped off uh watching Songa playing Djokovic to come out here and talk to you, but yeah. I'm really optimistic that Songa will at least give Djokovic a run for his money. How exciting would that be if Songa were to finally break through and make a grand yeah. slam quarter? It's been a minute. It has been a minute, and he had that awesome chance in France a few years ago and blew it. Right, and it against Djokovic, like actually. It, exactly, and you felt like, well, that's... 
that might be the end of the line for him in terms of because he's he's like thir- you know he's not any younger than the big four. I think he's like thirty. He's like exactly their age. Exactly, uh, and yeah. he's got an incredible game. And so to me, the idea that this could be the tournament, especially with Nadal out now with Federer not playing for the rest of the year after Wimbledon. You know, Djokovic is looking a little vulnerable. Murray actually looks the toughest of all to beat. But the idea that a Frenchman could make, um, you know, a deep run would be really fun for me because I feel like it would be, you know, sort of a a new storyline. It would be A Djokovic-Murray final would make me a little sad, to be honest. (laughs) Wouldn't it, you? you, For sure. I mean, uh, I actually don't have the draws in front of me right now, but uh, I'm still Team Murray. Um, I don't know why. It just seems like like I want him to succeed. I think it's all the Australian losses. (laughs) It's just, what is it, four or five now in the final? Hard hard, hard to imagine. But yeah, Monfi Murray would be my favorite. And if Monfi won, that that would be fine with me. I mean, look, Chilich won this. It's totally possible. If Chilich won this major, anything could happen. Anything, yes, exactly. Literally anything. Yeah. Yeah, so I've enjoyed it. And even though you said you haven't been watching the women, I have to say that the women's side is pretty exciting. Caroline Wozniacki is into a semi for the first time since, like, 2012, which is awesome. It is, yeah. And she was, I think, going to this tournament ranked in, like, the 60s or so because she hasn't really played uh, much in the past couple years. So that was exciting to see. Angelique Kerber could if she were to make a run to the finals and win the tournament, or if Serena was not to make the finals, Angelique Kerber could capture number one. Um, And obviously Serena is chasing history with number 23, which would put her ahead of Graf, which would mean Graf would be there for the ceremony. And there would be like a passing of the torch, which would be be exciting. So I feel like there's like all sorts of fun storylines going on. Right. But you don't always get. I mean, sometimes, you know, these tournaments end up being a bust and a bunch of uh, really underwhelming people end up at the end. And that has not happened this time. So I'm glad that the men's and the women still have a lot of sort of interesting characters. You know, and it's New York. It's like fun to it's fun to see all these players taking Instagram photos in like Central Park and like at fancy restaurants on their days off that are down the street from where we live. You know, it's like it's cool. I love when they're here. It's it's so exciting. Yeah. And it's also like you're um, uh, like night matches are great like it's designed for people with lives you know what i mean like i I cannot wait to get my kid to sleep (laughs) like i'm like chop (laughs) chop little lady let's get this done (laughs) Uh, (laughs) um, those eyes are closing you're going to bed so (laughs) daddy can watch the mandy murray you don't know you're tired um i think that uh um kerber i just saw wozniacki uh she was doing like that after the match sort of chat and uh and they played some uh, some highlights of her playing Kerber, the, like their most recent three matches. <laughs> and whoever cut the, the, the highlights was not kind because it was like 10 consecutive points of Kerber just like beating the shit out of Wozniacki and like <laughs> hitting like devastating <laughs> drop shots. Like at least like at least give her I think she beat her in one of those matches. Like give her one highlight. Yikes. Come on. Just one point. <laughs> I have to say, actually, as much as we were just shit talking a murray and Djokovic like backhand to backhand rally in infinitum the two retriever kerber wozniacki match does prove problematic in the idea that there is a uh underwhelming desire to finish the point between the two of those i guess kerber has it yeah but there is a lot of retrieving happening yes yes i mean like settle in ladies and gentlemen (laughs) some popcorn exactly i mean kerber definitely can flatten out a lot better i mean Wozniacki really, when she plays, she is so much like Hingis. It is wild. Yeah. I'm not the first a to make this point, like but Hingis, wow. totally. Yeah. Um, yeah, super um, 
super just like crafty but just like does clearly does not have have enough like she needs mistakes in a way that even like Radwanska seems to have a little more punch and she does not have yeah. a lot of punch yeah yeah Radwanska at least has like some trick shots right Wozniak right. you just is like super happy to get it back in you're like put it away come on <laughs> but hey semis pretty good not bad I'm excited about it yeah um Chris can I tell you something really fun sure since our last podcast, where we were pretty unsparing with our guest in talking about the state of American broadcasting, uh-huh. I have had a number of interview requests where I am basically uh, I have been asked to talk shit about the U.S. commentating it, scene. It is all happening. The dream is coming true. <laughs> the dream is coming true. Uh, who knew it would take uh, talking a large amount of shit, but right. I was happy to do it. Right. for the two of us to realize our dreams to call a live tennis match. Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, it would be so good. I'm sure, like, it would be really fun. I'm sure I would emerge with newfound respect for people that I talk shit about. Like, I, I, I'm ready for the whole series, oh, yeah. series of emotions. <laughs> yeah. I think it would. we would start off really cocky because we'd be like, oh, man, Monfils, I have a ton of things to say about him. And then, right. like, by the 30-minute mark, we'd be like, fuck, what else do you say? <laughs> exactly. Like, oh, there's another great sprawling back in you know what i mean right. so yes uh maybe i should be careful what i wish for before <laughs> i get us live gigs exactly but well it no. has proven fruitful like imagine calling that murray match like I th- it, and and dimitrov like i think that's got to be part of the reason why like mcenroe was like notably like angry at the end of the match because it's just like a for fucking sure. waste of time and like you're just scrambling for things to say other than just like insulting dimitrov over and over again Completely, and I agree with everything. However, I do think we have an ace up our sleeves. Which is what? Which is our willingness to comment on the sartorial situation. <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. Okay, the neon has gone far enough. I'm, sh- I'm I mean, sure you agree someone described this. Dimitrov's outfit as the peed my pants shorts. <laughs> it, it is totally out of control. Some of these outfits, like it's just too much. head-to-toe neon. Way too much. Way too much. And you might remember, we talked about this when Vavrinka, who's sponsored by Yonex, was wearing a head-to-toe highlighter outfit a couple years ago. But Nike has done them one better, and it's it's blinding, really. It is blinding. It is blinding. And then you got neon socks going on. Like, I feel like this is... This is like going to be like 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 what Trump is doing to conservatism. Like it it's so much. <laughs> it's blown it up. It's blown it up, and like no one's going to wear neon for like twenty years. <laughs> like it's just yeah, we're all going to be scarred. They've run it into the ground. You're <laughs> absolutely right. And again, this is the kind of uh, in your face commentating that we can offer because we are not beholden to any one sponsor. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We just take down Nike. Anybody in our way, uh, we can call the highlighter outfits for what they are, which is you know. P- PR pants exactly. shorts at the very least <laughs> exactly. because although I will say to Nike's credit the Serena armbands are really powerful a lot mm. of the people have been likening them to the Wonder Woman armbands yep. that deflect bullets yep. which I feel like is apropos I think it's great yes 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 one more thing which is Nadal now you watch that match right um, like were you thinking this is a young guy that got the best of him or is he in like terminal slow to slow decline yeah, um, it's a good question. And I actually will say this. Nadal has not looked better for a couple of years. I actually don't think this is terminal decline. I think this is actually him 
being bested by somebody who's 22 with a really exhilarating game. Right. I think if it hadn't been Lucas Puy, it might have been Monfils in the next match, who has also had a very good season. I don't think it's Nadal panic mode, actually, which we have talked about a number of times. I think yep. it was just rather Nadal is not always on his best as Federer is also experiencing these days. Right. So he kind of has to get lucky and not play somebody who's on fire. And I think he played somebody on fire rather than Nadal is like limping into, uh, you know, irrelevance. What do you think? I think so. I mean, I think that um, I th- like my only like concrete thing. To, I agree with all that is that and we talked about this before. It's weird how many times he leaves his forehand short in the middle of the court. True. It's very strange. It's not as it's deep like, as it used to be. And it's just whippy. And it doesn't feel like, and this is a term that I have picked up from commentators, it doesn't feel like as heavy a ball. Like True. people seem to, like it doesn't jump up and get, get into people's bodies. Like they're just ready for it when it gets there. Um, so there's, there's probably not as much action on it. I think that's true. I think that also, and Claire, my wife, who, as we all know, is a very astute commentator who probably should be doing this in my place. She (laughs) uh, noted that unlike the rest of the big four being, you know, Federer and Djokovic and Murray, he does not have the ability to sort of conjure aces whenever he needs to. And I was thinking back on it and he really never did, but he used to force a lot more errors off of his serve. Right. Kind of Agassi-ish. Yeah. Kind of, yeah. Like he would spin it in, but it would be sort of tactically into the body or something where it would sort of jam the opponent. And I think much like his forehand that's landing short without a lot of um, sort of weight and action on it, the serve has kind of lost its uh, edge. And both have meant that he has – he's starting points at neutral as opposed to starting them with an advantage when he's serving. And I think that that's a huge, huge shift, but it's also one that's not that unexpected given that he's playing a very, you know, high impact game and he's like older now. Right. He doesn't have those sort of like first strike winners that a lot of the other players do. And I think as he ages, that's going to be less and less, um, that's going to be more and more of an issue as opposed to the other ones who can just kind of ace their way out of trouble. Right. Right. And I mean, it's strange, though, because the way people talk about him right now is if he's ancient, but he's only a year older than Murray. Um, oh, yeah. Part of he's it might, might be the hair loss. But uh, I think Ooh, <laughs> man, oh, hard, hard to watch. All right, Caitlin. Um, Chris, let's check in towards the end of the tournament. Yeah. I think we will have plenty to talk about. Yes, plenty to talk about. And next time, more talk about racket that appeared in the New York Times. The New York fucking hey. Times, Caitlin. Amazing. The New York fucking Times. Yeah. I'm, I've made it. I'm too big for this podcast, technically, so I probably won't be joining you next time, actually. I, I look forward to talking with Claire this time next week. Great. Okay. Ooh, good comeback. All right. Talk okay. soon. Goodbye, Chris. Later on. Bye.